I invite you all to uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke, Luke in the New Testament, chapter 15. And we are continuing our series in the sayings and deeds of Jesus in the book of Luke this summer. As I mentioned earlier, just a couple of uh, weeks really left on that with uh, August 10th, us starting up a a new uh, series with the, the fall. But uh, I invite you to turn to that uh, passage and you can stand as well uh, with me as I read it aloud and you read along silently. Does that sound coming from me because of the fan? You can just just turn it away. It, 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 I'll be all right, buddy. Thank you for trying to help me. Usually hot air coming from up here, but they're trying to get some cool air coming from up here, I guess. What is that? It's like a tornado. That better. There we go. Thought the thunderstorm was coming in the background there. Goodness gracious. Oh, you're standing. Let's read this passage then. Uh, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. I'll read it aloud. You read along silently. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he is found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You may be seated. And let's pray again. Father, we uh, ask especially for this time now in uh, your word, dwelling, meditating on it and ask that you'd equip and strengthen uh, me to proclaim faithfully uh, the truth of your word in a way that would bless, transform, strengthen, encourage, equip each and every one of us here. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Well, someone uh, gave Patience and I, my wife Patience and I, this picture early in our marriage. And I know probably from the way back, you can't quite uh, see all the detail of it. But, uh, you know, I I try to stay out, I think, wisely of most of the Peters family decorating decisions in the house. But uh, one place where I have kind of exerted my influence is to try to make sure that this one stays uh, front and center in some main room of the house. It hangs in our kitchen right now. Of course, it's interesting how things like this can be there and you sort of start to walk past them. You know, a week or so after you hang it up, you forget that it's there and don't look at it. And so as I was preparing to preach on this passage, one that's, you know, one of the most cherished and powerful passages in the scripture that I took a look at, at this picture again, of course, it's got uh, the Lord Jesus here and you can see a Lamb that he's holding on to tightly and caring for what you can't see probably back there is these uh, plants around here are kind of filled with thorns. He's actually stomping on top of a uh, 
of a snake, sort of taking some liberties there. It's not in our passage, but trying to symbolize the fact that Jesus doesn't just protect us generally or shield us in a general way or shepherd us through life generally, but he specifically conquers the evil one, conquers Satan, the serpent, conquers sin. And and you probably can't see this too well either, but right up on here too are those other sheep. They're not, they couldn't quite fit 99 of them in, but they got about nine of them there. And, and it's just a, uh, it's a wonderful picture to me of the message of our passage today. And I, I like to, to have it on the wall in the house, even if we don't look at it or talk about it as much as we should, because it reminds me of the central message of our verses today. And really on through this section of scripture where we, we hear about the a lost coin and the woman that seeks the lost coin and rejoices. And then, of course, just after that, at the middle of this Luke chapter 15, a very familiar passage of what we call the prodigal son. Really a passage, as we'll say in a minute, about two lost sons. But this central message is there. And if you want to follow along in the in your worship guide in the sermon notes section towards the back, it's just this simple. Jesus seeks lost sheep. That's what he's in the business of doing. That's what he has a passion for doing. That's what he desires to do. And so we should have joy when one is found. We ought to have joy in the fact that we are found if we've received and come to know Christ as our Savior. And we ought to have joy when we're seeing others around us being found. Coming to see who Jesus is as their loving shepherd. It's interesting. It is a passage about joy. And you can sort of miss that in, in the midst of the message here about the sheep or the message in the next section about the coin or the two sons. But the word joy is laced all through this. Look at it just in the section we read uh, today. It says in verse 5, he uh, found the sheep, laid it on his shoulders and rejoicing. goes back and then it tells us he, in verse 6, he gathered all of his buddies together. said, hey, rejoice with me. And then in the last part of the passage, verse 7, says there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. It's a passage about joy. And one of the questions for all of us, whether we think about it on a day-to-day basis or not, is where is my joy located? Where am I situated? What is it pointed towards? Where is it coming from? And this passage reminds us, of, of just a, a simple truth, but one that, boy, I, I forget all the time. Maybe you do as well. But I have joy in the fact that we've been rescued, that we've been saved, that somebody came and got us out of the horrible predicament that we were in. And we ought to remember to have that joy as we see others around us that maybe are exploring that and haven't yet come to that place. Maybe look a little rough around the edges like maybe we are in our heart of hearts as well it's a passage about joy it's uh it's interesting as well it's a passage about the lengths to which jesus goes in order to make sure that we can find our joy in him that he's concerned for reaching us in our lostness Uh, the 
Peter's family, you, now I know it's summertime, so you all, I've, I've seen the, uh, the attendance numbers here at Cross Creek Church while, while the Peter's family was gone. So I know some of you may have been out and not noticed that we were gone, but we were gone uh, for a couple Sundays here on our big uh, annual family trip. And it was even a little bit bigger this year because we had a lot of ground to cover. But uh, one of the things that we did, a reunion time with some former college ministry folks in St. Louis, a lot of whom we hadn't seen for about 20 years, which was great. And then in Chicago to see my little niece, that was the uh, you know outward reason for us going there. Uh, my niece that's 10 months old, I hadn't seen her yet. So we, we were up there in Chicago. But uh, in both places, uh, when we were in St. Louis on my dime and when we were in Chicago on my dad's dime, we got to go to some professional baseball games. And it's probably not been too long, maybe since you all have been to some kind of large sporting event or been to a college football game. But, you know, when you've got the kiddos in tow, it's a whole different experience. Being around those amount of people, and especially when the game lets out, all of a sudden tens of thousands of people are moving at one time out of the place, and, and especially with our four trying to keep track of them. Well, uh, somehow, I don't know how, if you've ever you know, seen me when I was in charge of watching kiddos, I don't know how I got assigned this duty, but I got in charge of, of watching my kids in the midst of this crowd as they went to try to get some autographs. And uh, my niece on my younger sister's side, who's, uh, I don't know, I guess she's uh, seven or eight or something along those lines. And, and then my nephew uh, as well, who's maybe 12. So, so I've got this group of six now that I'm in charge of. And you know what happened. One of them had to go to the bathroom. Well, I wasn't about to send all of them to the bathroom, so I let the one youngster, one of mine, go off to the bathroom. And you're in this big crowded place and so forth, and time starts going by. The rest of the adults are all up halfway across Wrigley Field. It was the 100th anniversary this year of Wrigley Field. They're all the way across there, and their stands up on the upper level. And after a while, one of these little sheep is lost. He's gone to the bathroom. I don't know where he is, you know, what, what to do. And, and, of course, I need to chaperone all of them. They're not able to manage themselves. But at least I could get five of them together and say, at least collectively, maybe you can sort of watch each other and stay here while I go over this way and find the one that's wandered off. And we tracked him down after not too long, no great incident there. But it made me think about this passage and about how Jesus is really doing the same thing. He recognized he's, he's concerned for us in our place of need. He's concerned for the loss and he wants to uh, take whatever lengths are necessary, even if it means sort of stepping away from the needs of the larger group in order to reach out to the one that's in need. That's his heartbeat. That's his passion. And we can all be thankful for it because otherwise if we're here today and we're in Christ, we, we wouldn't be here if he didn't have that heart to work in our lives that way. What's well, interesting when the scriptures describe us as a sheep, uh, folks have pointed out some of the dynamics of sheep. And I, I read a lot about that this week. I never I never got so interested in, in the dynamics of sheep and shepherding, but I decided to actually dive into it headlong. And uh, it turns out some of the things maybe that I've even said in the past are not, you know, totally true about sheep. They're not quite as completely helpless as, uh, as, as they've been made out to. They, they actually have some, some decent intelligence, especially for recognizing other sheep. They can 
They can apparently catalog and memorize. They've studied about 50 sheep and keep those other sheep in their mind. Uh, And then they apparently have an ability to go through uh, complex mazes and find their way back through those again. Very elaborate things. So there's part of them that's uh, that's actually pretty smart. But but there's a a whole other part to sheep, as as maybe you've you've uh, heard or studied yourself, that's uh, that's it's pretty lame, (laughs) pretty, pretty weak, pretty needy. And uh, and it's interesting because it's sort of a catch 22 for the sheep. They, they don't do well by themselves, and they don't do so well in groups sometimes. Uh, when they're by themselves, they're, you know, like some other livestock, perhaps, they don't have a lot of natural defense mechanisms. You know, their bodies are tender. They're not very fast or agile. You've probably heard if they fall over in the back, they have trouble getting back up. You know, they're, they're, they're just they're susceptible. They're needy by themselves. They're also that way a little bit, though, when they're in a group. You know, it helps them out a little bit to be in a group, but apparently they will almost mindlessly follow the group. If the lead sheep go over a cliff, the whole flock of them will go over. They they just, they don't know any better. And so it's interesting to think about these creatures, okay? You heard the description of them. Think about who this sounds like. Fairly intelligent creatures to some degree that demonstrate some skill and intelligence in certain endeavors, yet seem to struggle to do what they need to alone and also struggle with just blindly following the group around them. Sound like another species you and I are familiar with? Sounds like you and me, doesn't it? There's probably some other parallels that we can draw but the message that Jesus has given us in the scriptures as, uh, you know, as sort of tender and heartfelt and warm fuzzy as this picture might be, is a little bit more rough. It's a little more direct. It's, sort, it's a semi-gracious way of the Lord saying, hey, all of you, you're really needy. You're really desperate. You're really lost without my loving, tender care for you. And I think a regular question for each one of us is do do I believe that? Do I really believe that that's true about me? Because I think if we do, then our joy in the salvation that's been given to us, in the shepherd that comes and finds us, our joy will be even greater. We'll, we'll see that, and I think Jesus wants us to see that. So that's really along the lines of our first point we've got today, and I'm going to try to land the plane a little early here since it is warm here today. But let me let me try to share at least uh, uh, two or three application points maybe from this for us. The first is something we've already been mentioning that we should have joy when we personally are found. So we should have joy in the way that this passage relates to us. And uh, we don't have time to go into great depth. Others have written in recent years much more skillfully than I could, uh, could articulate about the passage that follows after this with the two sons. The younger son, you remember that passage. If you've maybe not even read it in the Bible, you've probably heard it just somewhere in popular American culture. The prodigal son that goes off. He ends up in a, you know, in a pigsty, basically eating pig food, and he, he thought it was a good deal. He took his father's inheritance, thought things were going to be great, and he gets to the end of his rope, is the way we would describe it. And he realizes he needs to repent. He needs to turn around and come back. And, and lo and behold, the, 
the father, rather than standing there with some stern expression on his face and arms folded and demanding some sort of uh, massive apology and sign of penance, the, the father's actually running out to him. Running out to welcome in that sheep and put a, a robe on him and put a special ring on his finger and, and have a tremendous feast for him. And, 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 and meanwhile, if you look at that passage closely, which you know some of us maybe have before, maybe we've never seen this before, there's the older brother. And the older brother's there. The older brother's at home. The older, older brother's been faithful. The older brother didn't wander off. The older brother's done what's right. He's done what you're supposed to do. He's been faithful in that sense. And yet, as he is so upset and disturbed at the father's love for the younger son that's been gone, we start to see that, hey, this passage is somewhat about the younger son, but it's really more about the older son. And we see that in our passage here at the at the very start where it says in verse one, now the tax collectors and sinners were drawn near to Jesus. And what was the Pharisees and scribes response? These are the religious leaders. These are the pastors or elders. They're really more like a ruling elder because they weren't uh, professional religious leaders. They were lay leaders, but they were they were the green berets of the spiritual folks in this time. And what's their response to Jesus reaching out to lost sheep? They grumble. They're disappointed by it because they're like that older brother who hasn't seen his need, hasn't seen how dependent he is, how lost he is, even though he's staying right at home. He's still completely dependent upon the father. And so that's the context for this, for you and, and me and and the context for us seeing. And so regardless of where we come from, whether we're kind of lean on the self-righteous side where we don't think we really need Jesus. And we're kind of annoyed sometimes at the other people that gather around the church because they're kind of annoying and difficult people. And they have a lot of problems. And we feel like our life is pretty well together. Whether we're on that side of things or whether you're on the side where you, you really struggle each day to believe that Jesus could possibly love somebody that's done the things or thought the things or lived the life that, that you've led. Whichever side you're on, whether you recognize that you're totally lost or you think you've got it sort of together, this passage is addressed to us and and you know it's interesting too just from a broader perspective uh, uh how many people watched at least a little of the world cup come on encourage sam encourage look at that incredible okay so espn did its job they got us uh, a little bit hooked this time on the world cup and um and you know it's interesting those scenes they showed in different cities around the world do you remember while the games were going on and the early games you know maybe five thousand people are gathered here later on in the games they were setting up big screens in different cities around the world there's like 50 60,000 people gathered there gathered in some town square to watch this this game and you know i I thought about it i thought about it on our travels being in chicago big city being in st louis you know there's a lot of people in the world and it's really hard to to feel like we have purpose and importance when you see that many people around the world I wonder, what, what, what good am I? What use am I as a speck in the midst of those billions? Boy, this passage is a good reminder to us that Jesus cares about each one of us individually. We value and we matter to him. And that should encourage us. It's also a reminder, too, because one of the things we can do when we see this world around us and all the people and so forth is we can kind of despair. Like I just said, I'm not very valuable. I'm not very purposeful. The other thing we can do is say, I've got to make some purpose for myself now. 
I've got to get somewhere and do something, whatever it is. Uh, it's interesting. I've mentioned this, I'm sure, in the past, uh, watching the interview with Mel Gibson back a number of years ago when he had made that Passion of Christ movie. And whatever your, you know, your take was on that movie is not, not probably the issue today. But, but it was interesting because they were asking him, Diane Sawyer, in an interview, asked him pretty pointedly, about what he believed. She said, you've made this movie and you're taking a lot of heat for, for it and for making a big deal about it. And, and, uh, but it seems like you really believe this. And, you know, we'll acknowledge that Mel Gibson's not a maybe paragon of walking the pathway of, sa- of sanctification. But, uh, but anyway, who, who would want to have a public lens turned on our lives either? But he responded to her in this way. And he said, yeah, I do believe this. And she said, well, what does that mean to you? And he said, well, if I didn't believe it, I'd be a little late on world conquest. I'd be a little late on world conquest. I thought it was a pretty philosophical comment for, uh, you know, sort of filmmaker, slice them, fight them sort of actor guy. And what he was saying was this. If Jesus is Lord, if he's the shepherd of my life and he takes care of me, I don't have to try to dominate the world. Otherwise... Everybody ought to be trying, you know, you can make the case, everybody ought to just be trying to stomp everybody else around them down to raise themselves up. When we know that the shepherd comes and gets us, he puts us on his shoulder, he carries us back, that we have that kind of value. We don't have to create value for ourselves. We can rest in the value he gives. Well, second thing, uh, briefly here, that we see, and I think it's a pretty clear application of this passage, is we ought to have joy when others are found. Not always easy sometimes, is it? Uh, let's, let's, let's shoot straight. You know, new little children coming around the youth group. Maybe some that were reached out through kids camp or our children's ministry, let's start with. And, and those, those new ones, they're not coming from a gospel family. They don't seem to be behaving. They don't know how they're supposed to interact in church. They don't quite understand the, the rules of the program here. Not sure, not sure how comfortable we are with those being around. The, 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 the new kid comes into the youth or college group that's just exploring the things of Christ but hasn't yet come to that place. As, as parents undoubtedly get a little, ah, I wonder what kind of influence that child's going to be. Uh, adults, we know where we've been maybe ourselves. And a lot of us could tell stories about lostness and some serious lostness that we could tell. And yet a little uncomfortable when... Somebody comes in the church is still a bit rough around the edges, just trying to figure out the gospel. Jesus is reminding us here, boy, uh, we got to figure out a way to rejoice when he's at work. And we ought to want to see that work extended as we share the gospel wherever we can with those around us. That ought to be a great privilege for us to be interacting and rubbing shoulders with people that maybe a little, little different. Maybe they haven't had some time growing in the gospel fantastic wonderful let's see god welcome them let's see ourselves welcome them in as god welcomes them the last thing we see is that this joy described in the passage and i think this is really an important point it comes through repentance and it's really interesting because joy is like a, a, a uplifting word, a good thing. You know, when I say it, I'm raising my voice up here because it's joy. It's, it's great. It's wonderful. And repentance. Hard to sell that. Hard to pitch that. You know, it, it feels kind of weighty. feels a little discouraging, especially in our culture. And 
I just want us to see that the passage reminds us, especially in that last verse, you know, when Jesus says that heaven's going to have joy over one sinner who repents and then contrast it with 99 who aren't in need of repentance, uh, it's not that the 99 don't really need repentance. It's that they don't choose repentance. They don't see the love of Christ and respond with that repentance. And, and biblically, that word repentance is supposed to be, you know, uh, Martin Luther, he, in his 95 theses back in the Reformation, that, that was number one on the list of the 95, is that we ought to live a daily life. The church ought to be a place of constant repentance because it's actually good. It's in that repentance that we experience the, the joy. Those two go hand in hand. You can't really have one without the other. And so we should meditate on that today as well and ask ourselves, is our life one that's uh, marked by prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to come in, stir things up a little bit and disrupt things so that we can repent more? Because that's actually good. And we can experience this joy in deeper places. Well, I had the uh, privilege at the last part of our family travels. Another part of our journey was that we kind of met with all that was going on uh, around here in May and school and so forth. We weren't able to get out to central Pennsylvania, the promised land, to see uh, my grandmother, the last remaining grandparent on both uh, my wife Patience's side and my side. So we certainly wanted the boys to see her. been three years since we've been up to see her. She turned 90 and, uh, and it's interesting, you've, you've probably been there where you visit family, especially if you have someone like my, my Grammy. She's been, you know, 134 East Bald Eagle Street, Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. She's been there for, I think she said, 60 years. My dad was just a young, you know, young boy when they moved in there. And, and so, you know, you've had a similar experience. And you look around the house, maybe, of a relative, and you can picture where, you know, my poppy, who died back in the 80s, you can still almost see him sitting there. And my Annie Vaughn, who died a couple years ago when we were having kids camp, you know, you see, picture her. She liked to cook out in the kitchen. And you can picture those things. And, and, and so it was interesting walking around the house and being in familiar territory. But there was something that was unfamiliar in her house. And, and we had to talk to the kids about being careful not to trip over it. Little plastic clear hose that runs all the way from the back of, of the house from a big tank. Oxygen. My Graham had uh, pneumonia pretty bad in the hospital nine or ten days about a year ago. And since then, she's got to wear this oxygen around that goes through her nose and so forth all the, all the time. And uh, she's a real sweet lady, but she's not afraid to fuss when there's things to fuss about. <laughs> so she doesn't like her walker, and she doesn't like having to bring an oxygen tank around. She wants one of them to be gone. That's what she said. That was sort of her negotiation. Can't we get rid of one of these things? And we said, no, you're, you're kind of stuck. But, uh, but it's interesting to watch her make her way around. Because she can't go anywhere without the oxygen. She's got to have it moment by moment, breath by breath, day by day, to keep her going. And I thought about that in terms of the, the care that Jesus shows for, for you and for me. The shepherding kindness that he's with us, that he provides, that he sustains us. And he meets you and me in our spiritual pneumonia. Right? Lungs are filled up. And, and it might be for you, you know, you're like me, the... The, the right lung when, when Jesus came to you was kind of full of your own debauchery and running headlong into whatever sins this world had to offer and trying to fulfill yourself. And, and the other lung was kind of filled with your, your own self-righteousness and sense that you were a pretty good person. Maybe that's the way your lungs were. or Maybe they were all full with one or the other of those things. But, but I needed 
oxygen, I know, and, and I think many of you here know that need of oxygen, but it can be easy to fuss that we're tethered, that we're like those sheep, that we're dependent, that we have to have that care of that shepherd. But we wouldn't live without it. We wouldn't have the spiritual life of Christ in us without it. And so it's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing to be tethered to Him. The Good Shepherd who lays down His life for you and me, His sheep. Let's pray. Father, we praise You. We thank You for Your Word and for the testimony it gives to us. And we thank You for this worship service, the chance to meditate on Your shepherding care. And, uh, and Lord, we ask that You would help us to believe these things more and more. And that out of that would really come a, a dynamic joy in our lives. And Lord, we want that. And we know that uh, some of that's got to come from meditating and seeing more uh, that we're sheep, we're weak, we're lost, that you have come and graciously saved us and rescued us. You put us on your shoulders. You rejoice. And Father, help us to have the same posture mentality as we seek to spread your gospel to a hurting, to a lost world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.